Don Bosco took no step, spoke no word, undertook no work that did not have the salvation of the young as their object. He left it to others to go after money, comforts, and honors. As for himself, he never had anything truly at heart except the salvation of souls. In word, and above all in deed, he lived by the motto, Give me souls and take the rest. Hi, welcome back to Valdoco. I'm Amy. I'm Vicky. And I'm Father Steve. Welcome back to Valdoco Podcast. Today we're speaking about Valdoco. Valdoco. But not in Valdoco. Not in Valdoco. Ugh, Remember those what days? Time. What a time. What that a was, time. That was your reality alive. at some point. You that were actually in yeah. Valdoco recording a podcast we called Valdoco. We should have there. About I don't know why we kept going. <laughs> yeah. Why did we keep we going? We peaked in that moment. Mm-hmm. And There's now no we're back, back here in this room with air conditioning and some sort of server and a lot of noise. Definitely and some droppings. spiders because not been clean in a while. Spooky. Possible asbestos. Stop. <laughs> yeah. Living the dream we over here. We talk about it, it's real. New Rochelle. <laughs> we don't talk about it, it's not real. <laughs> New Rochelle. Any updates? Don't any tell life, them our location. Any life updates? <laughs> Life updates. We had the CYM meeting. Oh, my we gosh. had it before. We were talking about it. Yeah. Now we were about it. What, is, about a, it. what no is a sick. what is the CYM meetings? The Salesians have so many of these little acronyms. <laughs> okay, ready? Amy, take it away. <laughs> Coordinators of Youth Ministry. Heck in yeah. Meeting. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a meeting where all our CYMs, Coordinators of Youth Ministry, you know them, you love them. They fly up to New York or they drive. And or down. They, we get to drive, yeah, down. Sorry, sorry, Canada. And Fly down and over. <laughs> Chicago, I don't know, of geography. Um, let's do a better job of that, okay, everybody? Thanks, America. Um, so we, yeah, just live together for a few days. And we have a retreat day, which is really wonderful. We had Father Tom uh, Rickert um, uh, talk to us about the Eucharist, um, the five gestures of the Eucharist, and... Food for the journey. Food for the journey. Really beautiful. And then we had our formation days. So we talked about the EPC, the Educative Pastoral Community, putting that into practice, a beautiful reality to live, dreaming out there um, by Father Abraham. And then uh, we had Don Bosco today by Father John Serio. So that was our formation topics. Um, And then each night we have a bonfire and hang out. We have an escape room, room, which was very dicey this year. It's a scavenger hunt at this point. Whatever. Because we just have have them go the entire property in the dark. They have to open the lock. So whatever. It's fine. They can be all grouchy about it. But um, yeah. And then our last day is business day. Um, So we just talk about what's going on, how to involve local works, um, try to answer some questions. But it was really beautiful. Love hanging out with them. They're so good. It's like one of the just beautiful like perks of the job is like having this community of people um, that are working directly with you, uh, with our young people in our schools and parishes and youth centers and and boys and girls clubs. So just really good. Um, Good to see everybody come together. And we had a Salesian sister. We did. Sister Pamela Rose. Shout out. So great. She's amazing. Go Sister Kelly for getting her on. It was so good. So hopefully we're dreaming next year that we'll just have a combined I would love that. COIM meeting. So we'll start Sister putting Katie. that in the works. Yeah, she's put she's it together. Cool. She's got it. She can do it. She got it. So we'll see what happens. But it was really beautiful. Glad we got those days. No one's sick that we know of, which is really nice. Amy? That's it. Yeah. Came back with way less stuff, which is nice. Yeah. That's the best part. Amazing. Um, yeah. 
on Have we budget. done anything else? We could talk about it more. I don't know. Anything else? Any other life? You want a, another life update? Anybody got one? I baptized. Oh my gosh, you I did. I baptized a little baby. You baptized baby. And it was great because it was somebody, part of the Legion family. So, um, yeah, somebody who has been part of the Legion family for a long time, who worked for us, who, uh, yeah, did a lot, a lot of work back in the day. And uh, still connected, so it was good just to see everybody and uh, to baptize their third child. It's so amazing. Really, one of the best blessings of being a priest. And you went to a sacrament. I did. I went to a wedding this weekend for my friend Alex and his new wife, Emily. And uh, just really beautiful. But then also, it was so cool because there at that wedding were many of like Salesian adjacent people in my brain. Um, so I met sister Katie's sister, Lauren. Hi. Sister Katie's sister. Don't know if you listen, you probably don't, but (laughs) so we met, which is super cool. She like walked in and I was like, I know who this person is. And I texted sister Katie and she was like, my sister just asked me if you texted me. And I was like, well, there we go. So it was, it was so much fun. And, um, yeah, just to meet someone that you've heard a lot about, which is really cool. And then, um, sitting there at the table, like later on talking about, okay, like work. And my friend Jade, who I went to college with was there and she was like, yeah, Vicky works for the Slesians and, um, in New York and all that, but from Miami and whatever. So all these people are like, you work for the Salesians? They're like, do you know this person? So it was like, one was, do you know Father Paul Chu? He's my spiritual director. And I was like, no way. And then like three other people knew um, two of our cooperators, um, Gabe and Vito. From the podcast. And, uh, yeah, from the podcast. So if you've heard their their podcast or you haven't, you can find them. Uh, but they lived in Gainesville, so they met a lot of uh, people there. Um, so it was just really cool. Just the world is, the Catholic world is really small. And then the Salesian world just has all of these, yeah, people in there. So it was super cool, really beautiful. Um, and just a gift, a gift to be able to talk about the Salesian family, like with other people that have had beautiful encounters, um, with our Salesian family. So really awesome. Amy, Amen. Did you see a sacrament? Yeah. I went to mass on Sunday. Yes. 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 <laughs> Good enough. Qualifies. We got baptism, <laughs> Eucharist, and marriage. What, what what more can you ask for? You know? Beautiful weekend. One weekend, all that stuff happened, so it was great. And now, Salesian family all started in Valdoco. <gasps> that was beautiful. Good that was not a good transition. Yeah, Full circle. You. I was waiting for that Do you one. think about it? I did think about that one. Nice. CYM meetings. Like, how do I stop Everything this? we learned. How do I get out of, get out of banter? For seven and hours. We could put one more banter topic. Nah, what do good. you guys want? Nah. Let's do a shout out list. Nah. Valdoco. So we got two episodes in this season left. This one and next week's. And then we're calling it quits. Not ready. Moving on. Moving on to Advent because it's coming up quick. December 1st. Around. I haven't learned enough yet though. Yeah. We have to keep going. What do I know? Because I haven't, haven't taught enough. No, you uh, have. You just got to go back for more. I will be going back to Ecuador. <laughs> I will leave. I will leave again in June. For three weeks. But this episode is is just on a little bit on Valdoco. Uh, we've talked about it a lot in like other episodes. Basically, all of Salesian spirituality, everything that we teach, everything that we do now is based off of the experience of Don Bosco and his boys um, in Valdoco at the oratory. So a lot of the stuff we already know. So we'll just kind of speak a little bit about uh, just the experience, some things that stuck out to me um and then yeah i don't know maybe we could talk about it i'm sure you have some things to say of things you've learned over the years about the oratory and uh and valdoco but we just know that valdoco is a neighborhood of 
Turin, right? That's why it's called Valdoco, because that's where the oratory was set up. And the oratory, so for this this teaching, I'm going to say three lines in Spanish. Oh my gosh, I I'm going to brag. I'm going to brag about, I can speak Spanish more or less, más o menos. Whoa, that was the fourth thing he was going to say in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, because we, we had to pronounce this phrase almost every day on what the oratory is, according to what Don Bosco writes in his memoirs. So the oratory is, Aquella institución que la divina providencia se dignó confiar a la sociedad de San Francisco de Sales. So it is that institute, that divine providence, has confided to the society of St. Francis de Sales. So it's something Don Bosco sees very much as a gift Right, gift to the church, a gift. The oratory is this gifted, this gift, this institution that divine providence has given to the Society of Saint Francis de Sales. So it's what it's our heritage. You know, it's it's what we have been given. Um, yeah, it's what we've been given in order to educate. So we're an education order of educators, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that this season of what education means for Don Bosco. Um, just quickly, you no, know, but. That this oratory was a gift from gift from God, and this way of living, this way of praying, this way of educating, is a gift to the Salesian family, uh, given to us by by divine providence. And then two things that Damasco wrote and really believed, both I'll say in Spanish, just because again we literally said these over and over again um, in Spanish, and so those who speak Spanish, right, my translation won't be exactly the same, but Damasco said that he so he he said of himself. Yo voy adelante como Dios y las circunstancias me lo dicen. Meaning, I move forward as, as God and the circumstances tell me. So, I'm moving forward with divine providence. I'm moving forward with, with God's grace, but also with what's in front of me. Also with like the circumstances that I'm presented with. And then, lastly, the last Spanish phrase I will, uh, I will do for today is... He wrote his memoirs and he, you know, described his life. Para dar a conocer como Dios ha guiado el mismo cada cosa, cada cosa en cada momento. And he wants to give so that we can know that God himself guided everything in every moment. And so just seeing Don Bosco in this place in Valdoco, really a man of faith, a man of God, but responding to real, real needs that were in front of him. And in every single circumstance, in every single person, every single situation, the teacher down in Ecuador would always say, cada cosa en cada momento, everything in every moment, God was guiding. And it's just amazing how Don Bosco was able to see that. Um, he never, I mean, through his dreams and through everything that we've talked about, talked about over these last five, six episodes or whatever, going through Don Bosco's life, was just really maturing, giving a foundation of this confidence that God was with him at every moment and that everything that happened, there was a solution or that he, if you go through the story, building the oratory, the thing collapsed like twice, right? It was like destroyed, fires, whatever. Like there were so many things that happened just to the building itself. And then all of the persecution that happened outside from other people, all the difficulty with teachers and 
people coming and going and all the difficulties with dealing with young people that just came out of prison, all of these things, all these difficult moments, he was really just a man of faith that was able to see God in everything, in all the joys and all the sorrows and all the good things and all the difficulties. He saw, um, he saw God working and he obviously had his really low moments, um, but just a, a real testimony, testimony that to this man of faith and, um, and to this gift of the oratory, that the gift is the institution given to us by divine providence. You know? And we really need to continue. And so this whole episode really, I base it off of this idea of like dream and reality. Or for me as vocation director, speaking about vocation, right, that it's, it's a call and response, that God is calling. So we have this divine providence, we have grace, we have God calling, and then you have us responding in our freedom. And so that was Don Bosco. We really open to divine providence, open to grace, um, but also responding not only to God, but to God in the circumstances that were that he was being faced with. And much of the time, or all of the time, he was responding to a need of a young person. Right? He was seeing all of these young people who were poor and abandoned. No homes, um, straight out of prison, struggling, poor, whatever, looking for a place. And Don Bosco uh, met that need. And so we saw that as the oratory was growing, um, they said that this was kind of the regulation that it was that he put on eventually um, when once the oratory was was growing. No, it was then that a policy was established according to which of those youngsters were admitted who were between the ages of eighteen and twelve, orphaned of both parents, and in a state of dire poverty with no one to care for them. In in Italian, it was totalmente poveri et abbandonati. No, totally poor and abandoned. And so we start to see, like, this is, this is what Don Bosco has for his eye. The oratory was made for those who, who were neglected, and eventually it turns into a home. And so those who were given home were the ones who were completely poor and abandoned, who were orphaned of both, both parents, and between the ages of 12 and 18. Um, so just seeing, okay, Don Bosco arrives with his mom on the 3rd of November, 1846, into this Panardi shed, what they just they bought before. And so this is like the beginning. And then from 1846 to 1851, he's buying more parts of the land, more parts of the house, and it's expanding. And the story is that right next to the house, literally sharing a wall with it, was a, what they say, like a, the Bayesa house or the house of ill repute or the, basically it was a, a house of prostitution and gambling and um, drinking and all those kind of things. No? So it was right next to what they bought. And one of the main reasons why Mama Margaret went with Don Bosco was because he couldn't go with anybody else. Like if he went with another, just lived with another guy, they would, so many rumors would have happened that this priest is living next door to a brothel. No, but if he brings his mom, then there's at least some security that he's, he's not involved in whatever's going on next door. And so Mama Margaret sacrifices a lot, right? She had grandkids at home. She lived her life. She could have been queen um, back with, um, with uh, Joseph, the other brother. She could have lived a life of just, yeah, taking care of the grandkids, um, being at home, and yet she sacrificed. She gave away her wedding dress. She gave away everything they had. They moved together into Valdoco, and, and then they begin this kind of experiment. Um, and so it starts with them there at uh, 18, uh, 1846, and then they have the first orphan, the first person to come stay with them is in 1847, right? So the year later, 
Um, beautiful story of in May, a rainy day, this orphan with nobody shows up at the doorstep. And Mama Margaret, they take him in, they find a place, and that's also the founding of the first, what we say, the good night. You know, this Legion good night where Mama Margaret teaches the kid about, you know, good morals, making good decisions so that he doesn't rob them of all their sheets and blankets and everything. And that's the first, yeah. So the first orphan is 1847, and they say there was two in 84, 1847, one in 1848, two in 1849. But then fast forward to all the way to 1869, they have 375 borders. Um, so... He just says that, you know, little by little, they just coming from everywhere, swarming the place, looking for, looking for a place to stay, and um, and how Don Bosco is constantly just meeting the needs that are that are in front of him, um, and so we see that um, the boys are attending the oratory, right? So we talked about the oratory, so it's uh, a place where they can gather on Sundays and holy days of obligation. Um, it's a place where they can, they can learn, they can attend mass, they can go to confession, they're learning some sort of catechism, um, they're also having activities and they're playing. And so we have all of these kids um, attending the oratory at Valdoco, and then little by little, okay, it turns into kind of a school. In 1845, they, they're already starting the evening classes, and then they're starting to, to make it into more of like a, a school, an educational place. And then we see that 1847, we have the home. So we call the oratory now home, school, parish, playground. But we see that it didn't all, it wasn't all instituted at the exact same time, right? There was a process, a development of this. So we, we recognize all the way back in 1841 when Bartholomew Grelli, we see catechism. So we see the parish, we see them gathering for prayer, whatever. And then alongside of that, there's also games. So the first beginnings of this oratory was really just like a parish playground. And then, okay, we start to see a little bit of school. Um, 1845, we start to see the school. And then really the last thing that we see is an actual home. Um, and that's kind of the completion of the oratory model, which is the home, school, parish, playground, the home that welcomes, the school that uh, prepares for life, a parish that evangelizes, and a playground where friends can meet. So we see now um, this full, complete oratory here at Valdoco um, in 1847. And uh, in 1851, Damasco finally gets the whole house. And that's something I didn't realize was... One of the reasons why he was given the whole house, so given the like the brothel and everything of the not just the shed but also the house, the Panardi and like all that property was because there was a murder at the Belessa house at the brothel, um, and so the guy who owned it was like, "I don't want it anymore because this place sure. is crazy." And Don Bosco said, "I'll take it." Thank you so much. Does it come with a discounted price? <laughs> Probably did. Yeah. So. You know, just a, another testament to Don Bosco, just willing to take risks and really to to be with to be with the boys. Like he really lived the experience of poverty and of risk and abandonment and all of these things. He he was right there alongside, living in the same conditions, living with the same violence, living living in the neighborhood. He was really like feet on the ground in the neighborhood, uh, living amidst uh, all these kids and uh, being an educator from there. Um, and so we see this, and this is the, basically the Valdoco, no? So as the kids come, there are needs that are needing, that need to be met. And Don Bosco, Mama Margarita, uh, Don Burrell, all the people that we've talked about, Don Cafaso, Marquese Borolo, they all have a role to play. All different people that come in and out, they all have a role to play of the salvation of the young people, of giving them a place where they can call home, 
where they can be protected, where they can learn a trade, where they can be sent out into society. And so here we have, this is the oratory. No, this is Valdoco. And then we start to see the oratory start to spread, right? Because he said that at one point there was 800 kids in Valdoco. The way they describe it is everybody's packed in like sardines. There's no room. It's not healthy. It's not safe. And so Don Bosco goes to Dombrell and says, look, let's start another oratory on the other side of town so those kids don't have to travel so far and we can get some kids out of here and we can start like spreading the wealth a little bit. So in 1847, they start St. Aloysius. 1849, they start, they take over from Don Koki, the oratory of the guardian angel. So we see, we see three oratories in Turin um, that are meeting on Sundays and holy days. And then those who are really poor and abandoned, those who are orphaned of both parents, they would eventually come to Valdoco and they would stay there because that's where the home was. Um, so we see eventually kind of that setup of Turin, uh, Don Bosco, Don Burrell, everybody moving around. We have three oratories, but the home and eventually the workshops and everything are starting to be formed in Valdoco. And uh, just really beautiful to see Don Bosco starting to, yeah, to do construction and to build and to build the home, to build the workshops, to build the classrooms. And we see Valdoco growing uh, more and more. And uh, really just seeing kind of now we have some students who are there and then we have artisans. You know? So students who are studying like academic things. Um, and Damasco began to really focus on that because like the artisans and the trade workers, it was difficult for them to move up in society. So Don Bosco didn't want them to stay as a, like an artisan because in that time, in that culture, in that society, it wasn't easy for them to, to kind of move up in society and find a good living. It was kind of just maintaining. They would get a job or they would find some work or whatever. Um, but if they studied, they were much more, it was much easier for them to move up in society, to, dig, to, to find a better living um, and to, to make a better life. So he really eventually started to really focus on, on academic studies um, and then, okay, later on, the workshops started to grow more and more as well. And that's why we see vocational schools and things like that. But there really was these two kind of tracks. And Damasco focused a lot in the early days on the academic because that was guaranteed or more of a guarantee for the young people to get a better, uh, to have a better life than just strictly with the, um, with the trades. Um, so, yeah, really beautiful to see. And uh, he started... In 1853, he started with shoemakers and tailor, 1854, bookbinding, 1856, carpentry, um, but really kind of also a need, you know? So the boys needed shoes, they needed clothes. Damasco started writing in 1853, the Catholic reader, so he needed a place for the things to be printed. So 1854, he gets the, the printing workshop, you know? And then they're doing all this construction and all this building, so they need people to help with carpentry and building the window frames and doing the doors and all those things. So in 1856, he has the carpentry workshop. So just recognizing that the whole thing is being built, the whole mission, the whole operation is being done with the boys, like with teaching them how to fend for themselves, take care of themselves, but also involved in the mission you know, of, of Catholic reading. So they're producing material to help Catholics be informed on their faith. Um, you know, with the building of the oratory of like f actually physically building it with the, the wood and all the carpentry. So just seeing even, uh, we know what was the story of the rocks, no building My favorite the, story. yeah, go yeah. you tell that since it's your favorite The kitchen downstairs. So like would have been like their first cafeteria. Uh, so it's the basement floor and like they needed to expand it to like fit all of the boys in there. And so 
there was okay like marshland whatever and so they would he would say okay well, like when you come back from the river bring a rock with you like bring a stone because bricks were really expensive but they needed to build up the wall and so literally like the walls of like of this cafeteria that they would eat in every single day were built by these boys like they could be like that's my rock in the wall um and father mike did a really beautiful job of explaining like that was they were told they were nothing they were told they could never contribute they were told they would never like be good you know for the world they would never whatever all of these things that they were told and like don bosco helped to um i don't know rebuild like their dignity by asking them to contribute to building the home that would then like house them so so beautiful like really one of my like favorite moments it like lives on to one of my like wallpaper screens and a lot of people are like why do you have rocks on your background <laughs> and it's but it's such a good yeah beautiful reminder of like involving young people in the mission to help them feel like this is mine too um so it was really beautiful and it helps people take care of their stuff too yeah and so much part of education Right. It, it's not, we're not a teaching order. And that's what we, I try to say all the time, um, that we're not a teaching order. We're not only in the classrooms, we're, we're education. And, and Don Bosco, uh, when he talks about education, he speaks about it a lot, but just from one of the, the books that we're using down there in, uh, in Ecuador, um, it's right, he writes, uh, by education, Don Bosco meant helping the young person to develop and grow as a human being and a Christian so that he could find his proper place in society. Um, so this idea of really forming what Don Bosco would say, good Christians and honest citizens. Like he, the oratory wasn't a, a hangout. He didn't want young people just to come here and hang out. He wanted them to be educated, fully educated, emotionally, spiritually, humanly, whole person, the whole, the whole young person to then be sent out and take their place in society and do what they need to do to transform society, to live as good Christians and honest citizens so that they could um, transform, uh, yeah, transform the society, both the one they were in, but then as it grew all around the world, you have this Salesian way of educating, um, really helping to transform society in, in all different countries all throughout the world. Um, and Damasco, it says that Damasco wasn't involved necessarily in the teaching. In the very early ages, yes. In the very beginnings, yes. But a little bit afterwards, he was not in the classrooms, but the writer says that he was the most important educational force at Valdoco. And I think that's something that we forget a lot of times and something that we try to teach uh, that, like our teachers and our administrators. And it's not about being in the classroom, right? The education, so much of the Salesian education, the way of educating as a Salesian happens outside of the classroom. Um, and that's, that's where the playground comes in. That's where meeting people on the street comes in. That's where the word in the ear, that's where religion and mass and adoration and confession and all of these things that are so in, intricate and so important to um, the way of educating as a Salesian that is kind of missed. The classroom is such a small part of our educational system. Um, and so for me, reading that and seeing Don Bosco, how he would have really the educator who walks around the playground, who meets the young people at their workplaces, who is in the confessional, who is celebrating mass, who is working with uh, benefactors. All of these things were so much part of his educational system. Um, and that, yeah, why we keep encouraging our, our teachers to get out of the classroom, right? To get out of a classroom. If you're out of the classroom and in the playground or at the sports field or, or wherever you can meet young people, the classroom becomes easier. They will want to learn. They will be more open. Their heart is open, right? Because Don Bosco says, without affection, right, without trust, there's no education. 
And so that's where we start to see this in the oratory because that's where the family spirits, Damasco as the father, as the educator, um, living in a family spirit, and how the young people really open themselves to this, this transformation and not only learning knowledge, but learning about morals, learning about how to live their life, learning a trade, um, really just miracles were happening in this, in this oratory, even though there was such poverty, like when you read what it was like for them to live there, what Damasco went through, all the sacrifices he had to make, the little food they had, no heat, even in the winter in Northern Italy, like the things they went through are crazy. Um, and they were able to do it because they, they worked together, they were a family, and there was just such a, a deep sense of love um, for Don Bosco and Don Bosco for the young people that they were really able to weather any storm and, and uh, yeah, get through all of that. And then if you go to Valdoco now and see the structure that it is, it's, it's wild of how it started and, and where it is now. Um, and so I think that's really... Um, the last thing I'll, call, I'll share two things, and then we can kind of just talk about maybe the experience of Eldoko. Um, but there were a lot of these oratories happening, and there was also a big reflection on education at that time, moving from this kind of um, I don't know what what's what's it called? What's the opposite of the preventive system? The reactive. The, <laughs> I don't know. Bad time. Yeah, like <laughs> corporal punishments, like just out of fear. No, so it's like the. Uh, I forget now. It's like more of a militant, more of a rules-based. Uh, authoritative? Yeah, authoritative. I forget the exact word. There's a, a word that is kind of the opposite of what Don Bosco and other people were, were preaching at that time. So there are other oratories, but there were some, there was definitely originality when it came to Don Bosco. And the author, uh, Lenti, really kind of brings them out, no? that most of the oratories were tied to a parish. And Damasco really saw that the parish structure was insufficient, that could not, it couldn't handle these type of kids and the way, where they were coming from and their needs. So like this typical parish structure didn't work. And Damasco was able to, to really kind of change the structure of, of the oratory. And then also it wasn't just for a few hours. Most oratories were just like a few hours in the afternoons, on Sundays or whatever. Damasco, it was all day. He was going to meet them during the week, right? So it wasn't, again, it wasn't just when they came to him that he was running the oratory. He was out visiting at the, on the streets. He was visiting at the workplaces. So they said, you know, Don Bosco really, his heart was the oratory. The Salesian brought the oratory. So wherever he was, he was bringing that oratory and experience. Um, and so it wasn't just like sitting in the sacristy, sitting at the church, waiting for the young people to come for a few hours on a Sunday. It was really lived. Um, and that's what they said, that they didn't, like the location was literally just a tool that the kids came to spend the day with Don Bosco. Mm. And, and for us, it's okay, we could do a lot better, you know, because I look at some of our places and the kids don't come to see us sometimes, no? They're not coming to see and hang out with the Salesians. They're not coming, they're coming because we have a basketball court or we have a soccer field or we're giving some food. And so it's because there is this distance between us. It's not, we can't romanticize, right? Don Bosco was a saint. He was a founder. He had this experience. But to really have a Salesian heart is to win the heart of the young people, to win the heart of, and the affection so that... They want more of the friendship. They want more of the community. They want more of the family and not the things that we're offering. No? So if you ask a young person, why do you come? Uh, because I feel welcomed, because I feel family. I want to be here. So it doesn't matter what we're offering. They still want to come. Or you ask somebody else, and no, I come to play basketball. I come because there's free food. I come because there's girls here. Right? Whatever they are, are saying, okay, good intentions can be wrong, but uh, and there's always room for conversion. Not every kid is going to come because I... 
you know, for the right, for the right reasons. Um, but it was, it is beautiful to see just the, the power Don Bosco had because, because he loved so well. Um, and that this oratory, a lot of the oratories were for rich people, well to do. Um, it was kind of an honor to go to the oratory, not the case for Don Bosco, right? Poor and abandoned, really the ones who had nothing. Those, those are the ones who he had his eye on and wanted to help and wanted to, to give a place, give a home. Um, and then something that we talk about all the time, the last one is, is the playground. Right? Don Bosco's, the garden of recreation, what he called it, is right, this place where young people could, can be young and joyful and exuberant and loud and running around like was so essential for, for his educational system. It wasn't just a reward for the young people, but it was actually part of the educational system. Um, and that's why we include in the oratory parish school and then playgrounds, you know, homeschool parish playgrounds. Um, and so just to see that Don Bosco definitely had his own style. And, and for us trying to, to realize that and to try to live that today, um, I was just reading an article, you know, because in many other countries, when I go down to Ecuador, it's easy to see kind of the poor and abandoned. You can see kids on the street who literally have no home, who have no family. Um, you can see a lot of things that are just like, the poverty can be much more apparent. In the United States, it's not so apparent. You know? Like the abandonment and loneliness is a lot of times hidden, is a lot of times behind screens. It's a lot of time in the facade of a beautiful family with a lot of nice things, but there's such deep loneliness and, and difficulty behind those, behind the eyes, behind um, kind of the facade. So again, trying to pray about where we as Salesians in the United States and Canada, where do we... Where do we really fit in and what is our role and what is our mission towards, towards the poor and abandoned, having the oratory and then trying to form them and then send them back out into society um, to, tr to transform, you know, to live as good Christians and honest citizens. Um, and the last thing I'll say for me was really the, one of the most important and kind of defining characteristics for me of, of a Salesian way is that... Um, um, where is it? So that there were also personal reasons for the preference of Don Bosco for the poor and abandoned. That, um, that the spiritual love is experienced in a family was an overwhelming need of his heart, was like an overwhelming need of Don Bosco's heart. And that, that this speaks of the passion for family, uh, family intimacy as a characteristic feature of Don Bosco's temperament. That this is an aspect of Don, Don Bosco's personality resulting from his his having been orphaned as a small child. So that Don Bosco needs the oratory just as much as the, the kids. And so, again, I think we talked about this last episode of, or an episode ago of just that sometimes it's the young people who save us. It's the young people who give. So in this oratory, in Valdoco, it's not a one-way street. It's really give and take. Um, and so this is the family environment that we see the beginnings of our society um, because we'll see in 1859, so we'll kind of, that's a little bit of just, I don't know, not a lot about Valdoco, but it's something about Valdoco. And then in 1859, we see the beginning of actually like a congregation. Um, and it's going to be those kids from the oratory who are then formed and kind of given, okay, we're going to live together. We're going to work. We're going to continue this mission of Don Bosco. We're going to stay with Don Bosco. And, um, and how, so that experience of Valdoco, that experience of family, that experience of the oratory, Want, made them want to stay and continue this mission for, for the poor and abandoned. And now we're, you know, in 134 countries around the world. So just the power that, that the oratory, the power of Valdoco continues today. Um, but 
really to go through and to see not only the the beauty of it, but also the hardship, like how difficult it would have been to have 800 kids stuffed into a chapel, how difficult it would have been to survive a winter in northern Italy without without heat, um, very little food, very little clothing, um, so much of the persecution of, of trying to find teachers to teach these kids, of you're talking about how they when they had the workshops, sometimes like he would hire master craftsmen to come in and try to teach the kids, but they wouldn't teach because they didn't want to lose their job. Like they didn't want to teach the kids so well that eventually they went out and stole business from them. So there was all of these complications of trying to get all of this together, of finding classrooms, finding money, finding people to teach. Um, so how hard it was it would have been. But again, uh, to go back how we started the episode, like Don Bosco really, this call and response. He was a man of God who was able to respond um, to God in prayer, but also very much to to the, the God he met when young people came to him in need um, and really giving his his whole life. And uh, I know I said last thing, but I'll read that one quote from, uh, I'll read that one quote from, uh, don't look at me like that. <laughs> Just read the whole book. I know, it's so book. good. No, this one from Don Rua. No, this is the, the, the famous quote from Don Rua of that Don Bosco took no step, spoke no word, undertook no work that did not have the salvation of the young as their object. He left it to others to go after money, comforts, and honors. As for himself, he never had anything truly at heart except the salvation of souls. In word, and above all in deed, he lived by the motto, Give me souls and take the rest. Um, and so, praise God for, for Don Bosco and what he did and the inspiration that he can, he can give us, he gives us, uh, but that we too have a role in this now. So really trying to, to listen. God is also speaking to us and... and and then trying to respond in a in a Salesian way. So, um, yeah, and he, so that's my done now. Spoke too long, but uh, any words? Uh, for me, listening to you, I was reminded of um, like when I went on mission to to Nicaragua. So we went to Esteli, and there are Salesian sisters there that have um, this piece of land that they've built this like little orphanage. Um, and then it's like where they, where they live and then they have a little school with a cafeteria and like rooms and then a playground. And I'm really like never thought of it. It was just you describing, um, like what Valdoco looked like and, and the structure of it and, and all those things. And, and then even just like the way that, um, that it became what it became. Um, but just, yeah, like that they opened their doors to the, to the street kids um to come to class and then have a meal um but then there were like when i was there there were nine girls and some of them were sisters so there were different bunches of sisters um that lived there and so they weren't like orphans uh, in our traditional sense but um really bad like really terrible like home lives and so they couldn't go home or they um yeah, the sisters had asked if they could live there during the weekend. They would have to go home during the weekend just based on, like, laws in Nicaragua. But just really beautiful that they were, like, living the beginning, or they live because they still are, are around, but they, they lived the beginning of this Valdoco. Um, you know, they only, like, met these girls because they were, like, brought in um, to go to school there. And then, like, now with scholarship and the help of, like, Sijin family and benefactors that they can go to a different school and, and be educated and hopefully like pulled out of their, like what their living situation is like and have a more normal life, a more healthy life, but just beautiful like that, you know, it still exists today. Um, but like that's our foundation. Uh, that's where we come from. And 
like the history of like who we are and and that's why like our places look the way that they look you know and um yeah there's just a lot there's a lot to say about Valdoko of, of being there of seeing it um and like understanding like the history um and i really i always think about like the saint francis de sales chapel which would have been the chapel that they were in the most yeah um and just like the real like beauty of it like the simplicity and okay like the size of it and then how many kids would have been Packed. how how would they have done it i don't know because I don't know, maybe the pews were structured differently, but there's definitely not enough room for 800 people. Um, but then what just what must it must have sounded like and like walking through and, and seeing Valdoko and I don't know. Obviously, it didn't look like that then. Um, but yeah, just amazing. And, and the feeling of when you walk in, I think that was the most like incredible part walking in for the first time. I went last October with um, Choma and, and um, like some of our STBs and just like. I don't know. We were gotten so much trouble because we were supposed to just like run in and use the restroom, but you're like standing there in awe of like what this place is. And there are, there's kids there and there's, you know, other Salesian family like walking around and um, yeah, just amazing to, to see it. Um, but then the, this is the place that everything like pours out from, which is really crazy. It really is crazy. Um, like This is where his writing took place. This is where like our tradition, like, really like found it's okay like this is going to be our tradition you know so it wasn't just ideas that we whatever but it was repetitive like repetitive behavior that got us to like where we are um and like fine-tuning it and just like the beauty really of like the whole person like being taught and how much he cared for things and how advanced and he was and how he thought of like i don't know everything like the print shop the big windows in the print shop and they were like that was like not normal that they could like have light to see what they were printing and uh, that they could have airflow so they weren't like breathing in the fumes of the of the ink and so just like how he took care of them and like spent money to take care of them and like bought the best of the best so that they would be experts so they could take over and like have these jobs and um in the museum there's like the there's this like display case room um that has like gifts that when the boys grew up and they were you know past pupils um, the gifts that they gave back to Don Bosco, like the things that they made, that they made these books out of like beautiful leather. They made, they bought this like beautiful, like, I don't know, like lavish, uh, like monstrance, like that they bought with their own money and just like how amazing they were. Um, I don't know, because they also decided to stay with, like to stay with Don Bosco, you know, that they, they also like, they listened, you know, they were open to like being educated by this man. Um, and they kept showing up, I think is like also part of like the incredible part, because I think a lot of the like difficulty that I see today in, in our work is um, that there's a lot of options for our young people, you know, and obviously, obviously St. John Bosco was like attractive in that he was offering them a lot of things that they didn't have. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we like really talk about a lot is like, okay, what are we offering? You know, like, is it what they actually need? And like not asking that question so that people will just show up, but like asking that question so that like they can move on and like be better and like, and grow and serve and, and stuff like that. So it's just beautiful to see like where it all comes from. Um, and then just also like the hospitality that they must, that they must have felt like there, like having mama Margaret there, like she really is like our foundation of, like what it means to like Salesian hospitality and what it means to be hospitable and, and welcoming and to care for people. And 
um, and to provide and to like stretch, you know, the resources. Um, so just like, there's so much there. Um, yeah. In this place that really, yeah. Speaks to the whole person. And there was this, um, I forget which part you were talking about that made me think of it, but, um, at LaSalle growing up, they would say, and it was super like a very controversial phrase, but like the Salesian spirit is caught, not, not taught. And a lot of people hate that <laughs> um, because they say, like, you can teach the charism. But, like, I don't know. Sometimes I find myself really believing, like, it's, it's, an, it's an experience that, like, catches you. And it doesn't catch everybody the same way. But you can tell, right? Like, that's what was happening there is that this the spirit of St. John Bosco was already moving then, you know, in front of him. And, like, that was the difference of this place was the the spirituality that was just finding finding itself you know in the young people in the educators in the people that he was bringing in um because not everybody stuck around you know and i think that is like the really like beautiful part of what you shared is that like it was hard and there was turnover and there were people that left and there were people like this is crazy there were people that like i can't handle this and like we probably i could probably couldn't handle 800 kids in a chapel like that um but yeah like that it still can be true today that not everybody is like it's not for everybody, you know, and, um, and that's okay, right? Like that's the beauty of all the charisms in the church and the spiritualities that are, that exist. But like, it really, it's this thing that happens. Like it's this feeling. Um, and I think it really speaks to like, um, to Salesians as a whole. So not just, okay, like professed like STBs or, or, you know, FMAs and, um, but like a fragmented Salesian is like not a Salesian. You know, like you can be an expert in finances, you can be an expert in planning, you can be an expert in whatever it is. But like, if you don't want to be around young people, like that's a problem. Like that is, you're not, then you're not a Salesian. Like you could say, I'm doing it for the young people, but then like, where are your young people? Um, like, who's the connection? Like, who, who is that? And I think that's like what you shared at the end, like that he needed it just as much as they needed it. And like that to me is the Salesian vocation. Like that's when you have like a good, healthy Salesian, um, you know, a, okay, a lay person, again, an STB, an FMA, a cooperator, one of the million other like members of the family. But like, if you don't want to be in front of a young person, like you have to figure, you have to figure that one out. You have to figure out like how to get back to that feeling because there are a million places that you can do good work, you know, but I think like it is the young people that that push us forward. Like if we had no contact with young people, like that would be really bad for our office. So it's like one of those things to like for me to keep evaluating like where is my contact with young people? Am I listening? Am I asking even if it's uncomfortable? Like am I asking them like what they need, where they are and like do I still want to be around them? You know, do I still want to like be in front of like a group of like college students or young adults or high school students? And if I don't, then I have to reevaluate like what that means for, okay, like my vocation, like working in the Salesian family or being a Salesian, you know? So, um, yeah, just beautiful. Like this, this place that he left us and like a really, like a living monument, like it's alive. So, yeah. Um, one of the two things that struck me is what you were talking about at the end about the needs and the young, the needs of the young. Um, 
that for us today, when we talk about the oratory a lot, like it's a common conversation in our office that it's really hard to separate the different aspects of the oratory. It's hard to, when you're explaining the oratory, to talk about homeschool parish playground because it's not this segmented reality, it's this unified reality. So that's a conversation that comes up a lot. But what's so beautiful to hear about is that Don Bosco was so much um, listening to the needs of what was happening around him that it didn't happen all as one thing because he was responding to the needs in front of him. So Father Steve was saying at first it was kind of like the parish and playground because that was the need um, that he was hearing and then becoming a school because that was the need that he was hearing and then becoming a home because that was what he was hearing. And then altogether it took form of this gift that we're now given of what we see as the oratory being this unified whole of these these four different aspects and also that Don Bosco wasn't just assuming what the young people needed. Um, and Brother Travis on the CYM meetings, he brought that up of never wanting to kind of just be the voice for the young when the young people can speak for themselves. So Don Bosco directly asked Bartholomew Gorelli, like, do you know the catechism? Like, is this something that you know? He didn't assume things based on what was going on. He actually directly asked a young person and that's how he assessed the needs of, of those who were in Turin. And so I think it's just this beautiful reminder for us that even if we think things should be a certain way or we assume that these are the needs that need to be met, to actually go back and ask young people to be able to give them a place to speak for themselves and not just make assumptions for this is what the mission should look like. And then the other thing that really hit me was when you were talking about Don Bosco's heart was the oratory and that where the Salesian was, that's where the oratory was. And right now it's easy for me because I work for the Salesians. Um, I'm closely located to Don Bosco Prep. I'm also closely located to New Rochelle, Mary Hope of Christians Academy. I have a lot of these different Salesian places around me. But what is that going to look like when it's a little bit harder? when I have a family and maybe I can't drive 30 minutes somewhere or I move somewhere and it's even further away. And during the Legion Family Festival, they had talked about um, the Legion Matrix, which is basically like, you know, the whole charism, spirituality mission, but in terms of the family and kind of looking at family life in terms of that. And, you know, many people live that out. There's many cooperators, there's many past pupils, um, former SLMs, people who are living that reality in a state where there's no Salesians present. And so it's just, it's inspirational, like, you know, because it's not my reality right now, but to know that, you know, it's not the physical building. It's it's Don Bosco's heart. It's the Salesian heart. Um, and to be able to kind of have that example around me even now to start to see what the spirituality and mission looks like when it kind of feels like you're living it alone um, because distance-wise you are, but um, it's not the physical location. It's it's the heart. It's the person. Yeah, amen. And I think that's why, for me, a big push for a revamp of Salesian cooperators. Just seeing, yeah, that we really need uh, Salesians in the world who are, and I keep telling like you don't have to be at a SDB work or a Salesian work or a Salesian school. It's just the way you, it's the way you look at at the world. It's the way you pray to God. It's the way you look at young people that you really do feel called. So when you're at your work and you have a new young person come in, 
like the way you treat that person, you're going to treat them in a Salesian way because you are have a Salesian heart, you're a Salesian cooperator. So you're going to mentor in a specific way. You're going to speak to that young person in a way. You're going to forgive in a specific way. You're going to do all of these things with the heart of, of St. Francis de Sales, of St. John Bosco, uh, St. Mary Mazzarello, all the Salesians. You know, you're going to do it in a way that is Salesian. And so just like forming people because this is a beautiful way to live the faith. Um, and so I'm trying to learn from the experience of Valdoco and then live that in the 21st century with all the craziness and stuff that we have going on now. Like we have to look at our reality and then how do we enter into that as Salesians. Um, not easy to do, but uh, yeah, we got we to gotta do it. So last words. Can't wait for the next episode. Last episode next week. Pumped. Last but not least, we'll have another season. Can, yeah, can we just when do an encore performance? Yeah. <laughs> He's educated. But uh, yeah, that's it, I think, right? So we'll see you next week. We'll pray. And you're going to be hearing this if you listen on November 1st. So anyways, see you in I mass. hope you went to Mass. <laughs> see you and all, all the saints, saints and angels there. Hey, yeah. Holy, holy, holy. And uh, yeah, start thinking about Advent. I haven't even thought about Advent yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm so behind. Big. I'm so behind. We still got a month. Really oh, saying no, no. Got I got to get ready. Ordinary time, it's over. Gonna Everybody cry? shout out somebody. <laughs> Go. I don't know who listens besides the people that we Just shout out anybody and be like, out. I shouted you out this episode. You should listen. Shout out to Adam Rudine. <laughs> <laughs> and his family. Yeah. Shout <laughs> Shout out to Silvio. Thanks Silvio. for sending us your resource. Yeah. And thanks for listening over there in Portugal. And my mom, always my mom. Hey. Way to go, mom. <laughs> thanks for the support. <laughs> Let's pray. Showing all of us fans we're not really fans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, am I praying? Yeah. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And we just thank you, Lord, for, for Don Bosco. We thank you for... Everybody who was there, all the young people, all the collaborators, everybody who was there at Valdoco who went through so much um, to live that family spirit, to help each other, and to to love you and to give witness to that in, in Turin, and then that spread to the rest of the world. So we just thank you for all the, the hard work and the witness and the dedication and the prayers and sacrifices that were made uh, so that we could have this podcast, so that we could be part of the Salesian family, so that we could also reach out to young people here. So we thank you for your grace. We thank you for all the people you put in front of us and behind us and all around us to to kind of support us both in the past and, and in the present day. So we just thank you for all of that. We ask you for your grace to continue, to persevere, uh, to continue to be open and to live in this world in a Salesian way. We need your grace. And we thank you, we love you, we bless you, and we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Mary, help of Christians. Pray for us. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks. Bye. See you next week. <laughs>